0: Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks change The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out,
2: no matter how hard it rains.
1: Hey buddy, and welcome to the 254th episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Denhauser, and you can find me on Twitter, at HawkBlogger. And I am joined today by my best Seahawks buddy, Jeff Simmons, at Real Jeff Simmons, uh, the guy that has been as voraciously hungry to talk about the Seahawks offseason as I have been. There are a few that are but I think he and I are uh, can't get enough. So what happens? Bobby Wagner resigns with the Seahawks. I spend a few hours this morning writing my first article in a while. And Jeff's like, do you wanna do a pod? And I'm like, yeah, I wanna do a pod, let's do a pod. So here we are, here we are. Um, that's the amount of planning that goes into these podcasts. We may be joined by Nathan Ernst, I have a feeling he's going to have family commitments. This is very unscheduled, but um, if possible, it would be great to get Nathan on. If not, we will be on our regularly scheduled Wednesday time this week, um, and we will uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, have Nathan and a full crew on for that. Jeff, how is your weekend going, my friend?
2: Uh, it's been it's been pretty good. Uh, we're, we're starting to get some sun back. Uh, I see you guys have a segment in our weather in Toronto, but... Yeah, last night was pretty cool. Uh, I saw I saw Quandre's tweet, and I know Quandre's been like trolling for weeks now. So <laughs> I I thought he was messing around.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was this. I mean, this has been kind of a winding road with the Bobby thing, and I want to first kind of ask you, heading into this off season. We didn't know that Bobby would be cut. I, I don't I think there was a chance, but there, there it wasn't an assumption. He had had a good year for the, the Rams. Once he got once the news came out that he was going to be released. What was your expectation about his fit back with the Seahawks? Did you want him back with the Seahawks? Did you expect him back with the Seahawks? And then how do you feel now, like compared to where you started and, and where you got, walk me through that journey for you.
2: Fair. Um, when he got cut, I did at first, I didn't see it. I had heard some stuff I mentioned on a past podcast about some of the Rams exodus and that really came to fruition. And we've been looking at this free agent class for a while now and the one area where it was a very weak free agent year. And the one area that I looked at, and me and you had talked about this for a couple of weeks, really since the season ended, was linebacker. And it looked like a spot in a week year that there was just a, a large amount of guys available, all in like a pretty good age range. And I just thought there were some just more obvious targets that Seattle was going to hit. So we saw Jermaine Pratt and Alex Singleton, and we kind of came up with a list. And what typically happens in free agency is the premium positions go quickly, pass rusher, wide receiver, uh, cornerback. And then the second wave is more like the running backs start to fall than linebackers. So I didn't initially think Bobby was an option. I didn't think – I thought that the market would kind of – it would be a buyer's market. Seattle would have options that they can get probably – what I thought would be probably half of what Bobby was going to get. And it went really differently. I know John even alluded to it in a show last week where typically linebackers go – They all went day one and two. And I think Seattle was focusing on other things. And I think they missed the market. And then, so then I thought, okay, Jordan Brooks is out for the year. Or he's out. He got injured in January. So he's going to be out a considerable amount of time. I'm like, okay, maybe Bobby signs. It makes sense. I totally agree with what you wrote. Uh, My thinking was that if Jordan's healthy, they don't sign Bobby. I don't even think. And the whole just back and forth between John and my mind. So I'm like, okay, maybe Bobby signs. Then I kept hearing John talk, and it sounded a lot like the way they were talking about K.J. Wright when he got released, and then he wanted to come back, and when he was a free agent. Just like the way John was talking, it almost sounded exactly that they were going to do the thing where they were going to offer him too little money, and they were going to say they tried. Almost all of John's comments publicly and some of the things I heard privately, it just seemed like it wasn't going to happen. It seemed like Seattle was going to do their regular thing. So I just kind of ruled it out. Then I saw someone from Seven Ten wrote that it's unlikely to happen. I think on Friday, someone said that. I can't remember who it was. So I just got to the point where like, all right, they're going to probably overdraft this position. There's pretty much nothing left in the market. And then I saw Kondre's tweet, and I couldn't help but be excited. Um, Sure, there are definitely like, is, is it the ideal free agent signing? No, he's an older player. He has some limitations at this point. But given how Seattle's handled linebacker, and where the market went, they painted themselves into a corner where really, in my opinion, this was the only thing they could do. Um, they, I know people have talked about like the defensive line group, and we'll get into that. But I don't think you want to go into this draft specifically where you had to draft an inside linebacker. I think that would have been a huge opportunity cost. So I think Bobby, which has a lot of other value that you talked about really clearly, I think, I've, I think the move makes a lot of sense. I'm very curious what the numbers actually look like. But my first thought was just, I was pretty excited. It's a pretty cool story. And I know I t- went through a, a rant there, but I think my big picture takeaway was just think about what's changed in 12 months. Where this team was 12 months ago, where Bobby had the ugly release, the Russell Wilson trade happens, where basically 99% of opinion was this team's going nowhere. To now the point where they like kill the Gino signing, they bring in a high-profile free agent. We got like Field Yates and Mina talking about like how well this team set up, like the vibes of the team, bringing back Bobby. Like if you ever told me 12 months ago that this is where we'd be by next March, where I thought everything was set up last year to draft another new quarterback, it's pretty remarkable of what's happened in the last 12 months, how many boxes Schneider has checked off. And obviously, we do have some criticism of how they handled it, but overall, I think it's a pretty cool story.
1: Yeah, um, I think that's really, really well said. and And I think there are there's a number of angles here I think one of the ones I really like that you brought up was how this impacts the draft strategy because the CX are in a weird spot in linebacker especially at middle linebacker and Jordan Brooks was their logical transition Jordan Brooks was an, uh, a middle linebacker in college he was asked to play Will linebacker I think he played some Sam even potentially when he first came here but I can't remember anyway played Will and then the team decided it was it was they're ready to move him to his natural position and have Bobby play somewhere else and I don't fault the team for that. I think that was the logical transition. you know Nathan and I had been advocating maybe that Bobby should have been traded a few years earlier, gotten something for return in return other than instead of just letting him go. I still think that would have probably been the best move, but I understood what the team was doing, but now you lose Jordan Brooks at the end of last season and You don't know what he's going to be doing this season. And the thing is, Jeff, like if you feel, if you enter this draft and you have to draft a middle linebacker, then you're going to have to use one of your first five picks on that position. That means that you're going to use one of your first five picks on a position that you already have a young player who you really like. I'm not saying i like him as much as the seahawks but the seahawks really like jordan brooks i like jordan brooks but i don't know if i'm not ready to put him in like the uh, untouchable category and that's a weird spot no team really wants to do that and so a guy like jack campbell for example who's like the quintessential mike linebacker he's 250 you know he's tall he's a run stuffer he's not as good of a, a you know um coverage guy He's the kind of guy that you'd have to start thinking about. And if you get him, then you're basically saying Brooks is going to play Will. Now, I think Brooks can play Will just fine, but it's just an odd spot. And so what they've done now is they've got a guy they know can play middle linebacker for them. A guy that they know has, you know, his floor as a run defender is higher than what they've had um, at times. Uh, I think his... Issues in coverage are probably you know something they're just going to have to deal with. And now they have some freedom to draft the best linebacker that comes to them in the draft at the position that they want. And they don't have to get a linebacker in the first three or four picks if they don't want to go to that position. So I think that's the part that a lot of folks are missing. I personally also believe that having Bobby Wagner back You know, I totally get folks that are like, ah, nostalgia signings are bad. I'm usually in that camp. I think you and I both are usually in that camp. But this is a situation where Bobby is like an uncommon person. He's an uncommon leader. He's an uncommon athlete. I think he's still got enough juice to help you on the field. And it's a one-year deal. And everybody on the team lifted. Tyler Lockett, offense is lifted. Geno Smith is lifted. Quandre Diggs. So, like – Quandry Diggs was the vet leader last year he's excited to have Bobby back not just because he knows Bobby's a good player I think having more veteran leadership is a big deal like you know who are these guys learning from and so I think that's a big deal I, I I'm also you know I'm I'm partial to Bobby I I think Bobby wasn't sure this was going to work out I thought initially I think his expectation this was definitely going to happen and then I think uh Seattle signed Devin Bush, and I think there is some real question about whether there's going to be enough room left. So I'm curious, Jeff, when you saw the, I don't know if you have gotten the details yet, but when you saw the terms of the deal, which as I heard reported, was one year, $7 million. What were your thoughts about that?
2: I'm not surprised. Uh, Levante David signed the exact same contract. They're the same draft class. The last week, I just thought that was Bobby's ceiling. A lot of people initially thought, okay, like seven million on the cap. How are they going to make that work? That was not my thinking. I'm guessing that they had they designed design a little differently. And again, remember, remember where this is all coming from. Bobby doesn't have an agent. The people getting this information are probably getting it from Bobby directly. It probably it's, it's done. These numbers are done to make the player look like he got the best deal. So I, Evan had mentioned void years, and that's an option. Seattle did that when they were tightening the cap with Dunlap a couple of years ago, some other moves, they've been doing a lot of incentive deal. We saw they do the Geno Smith deal. I think Seattle is going to get very creative to make this work. And so I wasn't surprised by the number. It matched Levante David. That's, it made a lot of sense to me. That was the top of the market. If it's a pure one-year $7 million, you could definitely argue whether that could have been spent on a younger player. But in terms of what Bobby got last year, what they were supposed to pay him when they released him, Getting him down to seven million is not a bad thing, but it's very curious where this number is going to come from. There's a few levers to pull that we were aware of. That there's Quandre Diggs can be uh restructured that would create six million right there. No one was a bigger advocate, but Bobby than him. Um There's Chana Nuosu making do something with his contract. If he gets extended, it lowers his cap it by about six million. I think he's at thirteen million right now. And then there's the Jamal Adams contract. It's hard not to think of that in the back of your mind where releasing him post June one opens up, I think, eight million dollars this year or even more than eight. So eight and a half. Yeah, so there's three pretty clear levers right there. But I don't think seven million based on what Levante got is out of line, but I'm expecting either the void year or an incentive deal where it's gonna be closer to four to five on the cap, and I don't think that's gonna be too detrimental.
1: Yeah, one of the things I'm uh, I wrote this maybe a week ago, maybe a little bit longer. Whenever, right, right around, I don't know, it was about a week ago, I think. But my thought was, I think it was at when the details of the uh, Alshair contract came out, which was essentially like a four or so base with some incentives that could get it to maybe seven or or, or like something along those lines. I was like, that That feels like, okay, this is a younger player who's a little bit on the ascent. Um, if he's signing for that, and Levante David's signing for seven on one year, then it feels like you've got you've got the uh, boundaries of Bobby here, which is, you know, it might make sense to sign Bobby to a deal where his uh, base is around four and that there are incentives that can move it up to seven. And having something like that would one, allow Bobby, the respect of getting paid, like Levante David, which is, I think it would be hard for him to, to not be at the same pace scale as, as, as him, uh, same draft class, roughly the same age, similar careers. Um, and it gives the team a little bit of flexibility because you don't know how much Brooks is going to play. You don't know if you're going to draft somebody that's going to take some snaps. You don't know if maybe Bobby is, you know, this is the year that he just totally falls off um, production wise or something like that. So I'm still kind of curious to see if this is a full 7 million guaranteed deal. I'd be surprised if it is usually the first report is the most optimistic uh, view of the contract. So I would not be surprised if this is a a lower um, lower actual number with some escalators um, actually incentives, not escalators. So um, yeah, I, as I kind of wrote Jeff and you know, I talked about this a little bit. I think you and I have I wouldn't say we've debated it, but I think we've we've kind of gone back and forth and we should share it with others is like my now they've got Bobby Wagner and they got Devin Bush and when this this free agency started even before we both picked out linebacker as a really interesting free agent group and not as interesting of a of a draft group like so there's a reason to like maybe focus on linebacker in free agency and it feels like from my perspective the Seahawks not choose to go that route or they chose the way to kind of strategize against that position didn't really work out as they had hoped. So I'm kind of curious, you know, how would you grade the Seahawks handling of the linebacker position um, so far in, in this off season?
2: I'd go see. Um, I think mean on like my list of needs right now, it's I'm much far more invested in what they do up front. That's another conversation. But I think it's clear that they misread this market specifically. I don't, like, I understand from a historical perspective because I have the same thought. Like, I, I remember writing the article before free agency started. I said there was two areas, off-ball linebacker and running back, were the net places where there was a strength. And if you follow the draft or the, the way contracts have gone, the league's gotten smarter with this stuff. And so it's it looked to me like it was going to be a buyer's market. And I think what happened was, they misread it and it happens. People buy houses, and anyone's done that before. I, I looked at these numbers and I said, okay, they're going to be able to pick and choose day three. A couple of these guys are going to be sitting there. They can get them right at that. And once guys start signing, like five million, Jermaine Pratt signed for seven or 6.875. I'm like, okay, this is going to. And it got to the point where they had to sign Devin Bush. And I imagine he was probably pretty low on their list. And if they didn't get Bobby done, like they would have had a really bleak looking linebacker group. And it would have been points. point. So I, I think, Abe. so back to your question, they misread the market, in my opinion. And they painted themselves into a corner. The Jordan Brooks thing really put them in a bad spot. And I don't think they acted great. I think they, I, I get the sense they were planning on upgrading Barton. And they probably didn't get their one of their top options. They probably ended up with a very last resort kind of option with taking a lottery ticket on Devin Bush. And, that's not a great way to build a position group. I think teams like Seattle was last year where they were in kind of a rebuild and those are the kind of players you should sign, but where they're at now a year later where they're ascending and the rest of their rosters are ascending with this big draft coming up, you really want to start seeing stabilized position groups and the way they're building it is kind of, they're tying it together with Scotch tape. It's not ideal. They had a, like Jermaine Pratt's a much younger player. That's why I like the Dramont Jones signing so much and Julian Love because they're young players that can be – you want to go into every offseason thinking, okay, we have to fix this position. And that's something I think John Schneider and their team's gotten a little better at, especially like with the offensive line, what happened last year. But historically, I've been really critical of them with the way this defensive line group has been built the last five years. Every year they're getting a new pass rusher in free agency. I think that's a horrible way to build a team. I think you need – and so it's one thing where, yeah, it might look ugly now up front, but I think they're starting to take the right steps to build it properly. Linebackers are spot where They're not building it properly. The fact that they come could come out of this offseason with Bobby Bush and then a drafted guy, it's a good recovery. But I don't think from like a process building standpoint, they've done a good job at all. And I think they put themselves, combined with the Brooks injury, bad drafts, they, they're just, they haven't done this well, and the market got away from it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, look, I'm looking at kind of the list and and you and I talked about this. We'll go through this really quickly, but like Tremaine Edmonds, obviously the class, I think really the class of the of the free agency linebacker crew. I don't think either one of us, we were pretty clear. That's not a guy that we were looking at. He signs, you know, and he's basically, he's getting more than Draymond Jones. You know, he's getting 18 million, you know, a year. Um, Bobby Okarike was another guy. I think we liked, he ended up getting 10 million a year. I totally get why that's too rich, um, for, for their blood. Another guy that I liked that most people didn't know about Caden Ellis, uh, from new Orleans, he ends up getting about 7 million from Atlanta. So that's also, you know, pretty high, but he's almost 28, but he, he had a decent number of sacks last year. He kind of broke out last year. Um, then it gets into like Jermaine Pratt. And that's the guy that if I could have had one linebacker out of all of them from a cost to value and future perspective, that was the guy. Terrific coverage linebacker, impact player, um, uh, almost 27 years old, still 26. Mm-hmm. And he resigns with Cincinnati for three years, you know, a little over 20 million for an average of 6.75. And his total guarantees are 7 million. So that's one that, you know, we don't know, we don't know if that was even an option, but if, if you had added Jermaine Pratt to this linebacker crew then I'd almost not care who the other person was, then I would've been like, okay, now you got, you got another good linebacker who can be a playmaker for you. They didn't do it. Another guy who I really liked was Alex Singleton. Um, I have to admit, he got more money than I expected for him to get. He ended up getting 3 years, 18 million, 6 million. In fact, he got more guaranteed money than at least according to this than than what Pratt got. He got 9 million guaranteed. Singleton's like a great, great run defender and he's also pretty young. well, he's 29, so he's not the youngest. But um I was surprised he got what he got. And then the third guy, I don't know if that's the third guy um, or fourth, but that you and I talked about, I liked a lot was David Long. I thought he was an ideal fit, 26 years old, really strong, like against the run, impact player, hard hitter, decent in coverage. And he went for two years, 11 million bucks, you know, um, five and a half million. So that one was like the eye opener. I was like, whoa, whoa. How did we miss on that? Um, and you had you had an interesting point there. That well,
2: to start, I think Long was one of the best signings in all of free at any position. There's a lot of people in the league who don't know how that happened because he really ascended last year and he's had injury issues. But and then you take a step back and you wonder, okay, this is what I was trying to – I wrote an article on this a couple of years ago. And fans of every team do this. You have to remember that there's 31 other teams. And people lose sight of that all the time. I follow a lot of fan bases and they're always like, why did my team sign X player? So you're David long and you could sign with Seattle who has no defensive line and no linebackers or you, and a defensive coordinator who, who had a rough year. Or you can sign with Vic Fangio with Jalen Ramsey, Xavier Howard, Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips. Uh, they have a bunch of guys up front. They look like they're going to have the best defense in the NFL this year. And if you're trying to rebuild your value or take advantage and play in Miami, I, I think Seattle would have had to go pretty significantly higher financially to get a deal like that. And Miami from like a defensive standpoint with, with Vic in there, Vic versus Clint Hurts, is a nine day difference. No offense to Clint Hurt, but it's just, to me, it's a no. And then Pratt, you see Pratt re-signing. That one surprised me. If you remember the end of that playoff game, he had those like, he was very mad about how the game ended. He was coming off the field screaming about that guy who pushed the guy out of bounds. It just seemed like he was going to get out of there. It seemed like an ugly ending there. But So when a guy re like that, it's a tough thing because he probably really wanted to go back there. They've been really good. The Bengals are one of the ascending teams in the NFL. So to get someone to go cross-country and get out of there, you're probably going to have to either pay them with term or with APY. And so it's hard to just look at the contract and say – They've got the same numbers because it's not its not always the same thing, but I, I agree. Like, and it's what I was saying before if you get Pratt, who's 26 years old, turning 27, that's a building block you don't have to worry about. It. And if Jordan Brooks hits, you might have a real position of strength. And look, I like, I, I love Bobby Wagner, he's one of my favorite players of all time, but he's a one year Scotch tape solution that Jordan Brooks got here. What this group needs is they need building blocks. And Jordan Brooks, mm-hmm. I'm lucky he's been good, not great. Uh, he's had his moments in coverage. He's not the player as, against the run that I was told. And he hasn't had the defensive line. And the scheme was a little weird last year. And Devin Bush, again, he's a lottery ticket. So you look at someone like Long, who to me would have filled this team perfectly. Exactly the kind of player that they need to invest there. And people either chose to go elsewhere. And the guy in Tennessee, Al Shahir, uh, he got a much lower deal than I was thinking. But yep. Same. So new GM in Tennessee he came from San Francisco. Rand Carthon was like the pro scout there. We did a lot of the later. He was his role apparently was a lot of the later defensive draft picks. And Al Shahir goes to San Francisco. That's where relationships matter. So it's one of those things where you got to remember, not everyone wants to come to your team, even if the money's the same. And so I think there's a combination of that, and I think Seattle. They tried to sign Zach Allen and Draymond Jones, so they were wrapped up in the defensive line. I think the whole linebacker market got away from them, and they probably were looking at their list, and that's where you end up with Devin Bush instead of one of those guys. And it feels like – it feels (laughs) exactly like you said. I think it was a C-minus or D-grade, and that's totally fair.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think that's that's wise. And and you and I've talked about that over the years. It's it's just an easy thing to forget. You look at the numbers, and you're like, hey, why didn't we get that guy for that exact contract when there's times that guys aren't even talking to you? Like there people don't want to hear it, but there are a lot, like not a small number, a significant portion of players who just have no interest in living in the Northwest. They have no interest in moving to Seattle, they've never gone west of the Mississippi. They don't want to be like the number one travel team in the NFL that's flying everywhere every year. So they don't even consider it. They're just not, it's just not an option. Maybe there's family things, maybe there's whatever else. So there's a lot of reasons why those deals don't work out as you want. Doesn't really matter when you look purely at talent on the field. There's no way you can look at what the Seahawks have done at the linebacker spot versus the potential players that were available and feel like the Seahawks have done a good job at the linebacker spot. I, I don't think you can objectively do that. I think Devin Bush, you know, I I am I am much more skeptical of him than I think you are. Or at least I think your attitude about him is a little bit more if it works out, great. If not, no big deal. I feel like as of now, they could be counting on him quite a bit. And Jeff, how many times we talked about like the quotes around what Kyle Shanahan tells his team they're going to do to, to linebackers, like he specifically his type of offense and his, his honestly brilliance as a offensive schemer and and game planner and play caller. It puts the most stress on linebackers. And you have a guy in Devin Bush who has some physical skills that have eroded, maybe because the ACL, maybe other things. But the real issue has been that he just hasn't, he hasn't been a decisive, heady player in the NFL. And you put him against someone like all the talent that's on that San Francisco roster and that play caller. And I'm like, not a good recipe. Like, so, so. I'm hopeful that Bobby can maybe pull him aside, help him see things differently. I think fans overstate how that can happen, but I do believe having a veteran that you respect that is that good of a preparation guy and that smart can help the guys around him. So, I mean, it it maybe makes the Devin Bush shining from a a D minus to me to like a, a plus like, Maybe maybe C minus, but like I still have very low expectations for Devin Bush.
2: Yeah, it's it's totally fair. Like he's yeah he has not been a good player with the last two seasons, and I think I, what you're hoping for is that you, you you get a draft pick somewhere in the middle grounds, and Bush is competing for a job against man. If Bush hits, great. And but if they don't, and Bush becomes a new Cody Barton in the defense. There's a pretty good case. He's significantly worse than Cody Barton in coverage. And you mentioned Kyle Shannon Kyle Shannon dominated linebackers when we had peak Bobby, and peak KJ. So it's not peak Bobby, peak KJ like we used to have. So it's all scary. The good thing is maybe we get Brooks mid season and he can kind of ease that a little bit. Cause they don't really have unless John it's right now. It's John Radigan against Bush to win that job. And you're hoping they can still upgrade, but yeah, I didn't think it was, didn't think there was a point where Devin Bush would be a starting linebacker, but you're right the situation. Having Bobby around versus him being the leader of the group and him and Rad again in a draft pick, that would have been terrifying.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think you touched on one thing, Jeff. That's a good one just to reiterate, which is, you know, we don't know what we're going to get from Jordan Brooks, but. He just hadn't, he had an ACL. It was late in the year. I think there is a chance that he's not really back this year. Like John Radigan had a a late in the year knee injury. He came back mid-year was not like, he barely was like parting of special teams. Now I'm not saying Brooks and Radigan are the same athlete or same player, but I don't think you can expect a guy to get an ACL injury in basically the last game of the season and then come back and have any confidence that he's going to be a starter for you in the, the following season. So if he does, if he can come back and let's say he's, he's almost for sure going to be a pup guy, maybe he's an IR guy. I don't know, but let's say he's a pup guy, middle of the year, then it starts to get a little more interesting about bobby and brooks like i think that that is you could argue that that's an upgrade over what the seahawks ran out there last year at linebacker um but jeff there are folks that are still clamoring about cody barton and that why didn't you like why didn't they give cody barton five million dollars or why didn't they like just re-sign cody barton i just. Boggles my mind. I I I don't get it. I mean, what what am I missing?
2: Uh, well, I know the group you're talking about. I've I, I do read their stuff, and
1: they're smart but, guys.
2: I, I respect. Yeah, them. I, know, I I talked to Griff, who's been on our show a lot. I mean, him don't see eye to eye a lot of things, and I think he loses the big picture sometimes. But what they really like about Barton is his coverage skills, and as the defense shifted to more. Covering deep parts of the field and deep zones, a lot of the like metrics on like sports info solutions had Barton as a really good coverage linebacker. A lot of the issues that most fans and guys like me and you saw with Barton were things that they believe were related to a bad scheme, stuff that Sean Desai brought in. That if you remember how Brandon Staley ran that defense before, which is the defense they're running now, they basically were like begging people to run on them and asking them to beat you through the pass. And Seattle was so bad in personnel there and so bad at scheming that the linebackers were basically going up against guards and had no chance of winning. So that was their view. I see a guy, I see it differently. I think Brooks Barton was solid linebacker, but I see a guy, what you want a linebacker and that Pete and John says all the time is runners and hitters. I don't see Barton as particularly a good runner. And I don't see him as a particularly good hitter. And to me, that's a replaceable player. It's a guy You don't sign a guy like Barton. If you're building a roster and you have any experienced personnel, Barton is the guys you want to avoid. We talked about it with like the Shaq Griffin level players over the years. Those are not the guys you typically give second contracts to. And I don't think Barton did enough to warrant. I think the only reason he might have warranted a new deal was because Brooks got hurt. So I see Barton as a totally replaceable guy. And maybe you drop off in coverage, but I think you need someone who's a little better against the run, and I think you need someone who's got a higher ceiling if you're trying to be a Super Bowl team. To me, I don't think Cody – I think Cody Barton's your third linebacker for you if you're trying to be a team you want to. and To me, that could be a draft pick. That could have been a long list of guys we mentioned earlier. So I know those guys that are really hyped up about the way he covered in. And from Barton's perspective, what I was talking about before, like you would have had to pay Barton significant money because if you're him and you're trying to rebuild your career, do you want to go play for Washington where they have Deron Payne and John Allen to take up blockers? and you're just running and tackling guys? Or do you want to play for Seattle right now? To me, I'd probably go to Washington if I'm Cody Barton. I think his agent made a smart move. To I think that's why they jumped on that yeah. deal so fast. Yeah. And for Seattle, I, I don't think that's a guy you typically give a second contract to. And I know his coverage metrics were good, but I think a lot of the things that make up the linebacker – and the big thing I don't think is being considered, I think their scheme is going to look a lot different this year. I think Pete has mentioned that a lot. Yeah. I think Sean Desai being out of the building is going to change some things. And Pete said it since the season ended, they've really refocused on scheme. And they were doing a lot more of – a lot less of like the 3-4 that was being advertised last year. And I don't think plugging Cody Barton back in would have made anyone feel good about where things were. And I think a lot of the issues they need to resolve are up front. And we are still haven't hit the most important part of any offseason acquisition phase yet. So freaking out or evaluating the roster right now is very incomplete
1: yeah that all makes sense and and where I where I understand as much as I've been critical of Cody Barton and we have some fun with it here and I yeah I, I don't have a high opinion of what his ceiling is of a, as a player I understand the hey we've got evidence to show that he is not as bad as people say he is I get that and I and I, I respect it and I appreciate it. what I don't get is beyond that, he's the guy that we need to bring back and he's a key player that should be part of this defense. And you know, our defense would be better with him than without him. I don't see that. I see a guy that the Seahawks are wise to let go and trade that card in, see what you get from the pot. Like now I admittedly, I thought they were going to pull a different card than Devin Bush. (laughs) <laughs> but, but I'm still like I would rather see if we can get different than just run back Cody Barton. So uh, that's pretty clear to me. I think the scheme thing. Let's talk about that for a second, Jeff, because I was actually going to go there anyway. You and I talked about before this off season that the most critical thing that nobody else really was bringing up as a factor not only in how they approach their free agency, but how they approach the draft and that number five pick and other things is what scheme are they going to run on defense? They had made this switch. They had brought in all Vic Fangio's lieutenants and Pete had said they're committed to it. And he even in this off season, they're committed to it. But he also said that they're going to make it their own. And he was going to be super involved because if they were going to continue on the three, four path as they were, There are certain players that don't make sense to be on the draft board for them. I have less interest in a Lucas Van Ness. I have less interest in a Tyree Wilson. If they were going to be a 4-3 defense, Tyree Wilson becomes a lot more interesting of a prospect, in in my opinion. So I'm curious if you've got any evidence or any thoughts about clues that are helping us see what they're planning to do here um, because look, you know, some people are like, Hey, there is no nose tackle on this roster, which there isn't. Um, does that mean that they're potentially going back to a more classic four, three up front? And maybe they're not They're Maybe Jaron Reed's just going to play an interior defensive tackle as opposed to a defensive end in a three, four, or, or I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. If, if you feel like you're getting any clues uh, about the answer to that question.
2: I'm I'm trying to dive into that. So the one of the things I heard is Dremont Jones was on a Denver radio station and they asked him about like it was a pretty cool interview actually, much more interesting than the one he had in Seattle. He was, was pretty open and he was saying the one thing that they really sold on is he's gonna be playing primarily three technique, which is could be an end in a three-four or it could be four or three typical role that Michael Bennett was so good at, or some of that Warren Sapp played the three technique. And it's where you're just a dominant penetrator. So that made me wonder, like I don't remember if last year they had a traditional three technique guy who played consistently. I know they Ted Puna was playing more of like out of know he should be in a nose and Al Woods was playing a nose. Maybe Shelby Harris was playing more of like a five, but hearing that Jones is going to be more of a three technique makes me think they're going to be more maybe in some of the under fronts that they're traditionally had done. So I think the draft will be super telling, especially early. Because like you said, Tyree Wilson is a very – it's a really interesting case because 3-4, he's probably an outside linebacker. And he's like a odd fit because he's not like a guy you want dropping in coverage. And he's a guy you want – he's kind of built like lengthwise like Alden Smith, but he's much physically bulkier. And if he, you're playing 4-3, him or Van Ness or the guys you mentioned – they slide in really comfortable. Van Ness is like a bigger, like Ryan Kerrigan kind of player. And I think the draft is going to be telling. I don't think the nose tackle thing is as much of a tell as anything is. Because I think in most defenses you need a guy like that, whether you're doing the under fronts or they're doing the three, four fronts. They were running like three different defenses last year because they had to adjust after that start was so bad. And then they finally found something and that eventually fell apart and they went to a new adjustment. So, I don't think they're going to run like the traditional 3 4 that we were used to with like the Steelers and that we saw like 300 pound defensive ends. They've been on that 280 pounder. Like they had, it's based on who they've been scouting. They signed Jermon Jones, 280 pound guy. They had uh, Mario Edwards, I think his name was. They had him in the building. He's 285 pounds. So, there seems to be a tell there. And then I think we'll see with the draft. I don't know if you're catching something differently, but. I don't see this whole nose tackle thing as a big deal. Like, it's probably the easiest yeah. position to have in free agency, and they're still the draft. So – and yeah. the funny part is all these guys, everyone's like, we need to sign one of these defensive linemen from last year. They're all still sitting there, right? Like, <laughs> it's not like they're all gone.
1: Yeah. I, I... – other than Shelby Harris, I'd be disappointed if they brought back any of those guys. I, I mean, I, I if they brought back outwoods, woods, I'd be happy because it means that they believe in him. I just I, as I wrote in the article I posted today, the logic there doesn't make sense. You don't cut a guy like Al Woods, who's been super productive for you to save three and a half million on the cap and then resign him. He's going to be at least a million dollars, probably a million and a half minimum. So you did that and you save a million and a half dollars like I I don't I just don't understand why a team would go through that for that little money. Shelby Harris, who is, you know, a nine and a half million dollar cap saving or something like that. If you get him back for three or four million, that makes more sense. Like you're actually saving some money there. Um, And Shelby Harris is a good player, good leader. I think he's a good part of a good defense. So I don't want him to be the best, best uh, defensive lineman on your team. But I think he's a good addition if you can if you can get him back. Um, but they also have to keep some optionality open because, look, if they do get another, if they get a Elijah Cansey, and he's going to be a disruptive two hundred eighty pound defensive end um, in a three four, if they're going to get, uh, you know, Thule from from USC, similar kind of player, um, so they might just want to see where things fall and then to your point there might be some of these guys that are the next wave of free agency after the draft and they're going to be veterans that they figure out um i do want to pause for a second and uh appreciate jeff the other jeff jeff speak for uh the super chat donation appreciate it um and a good reminder that we don't always go on schedule so if you haven't already click the like button click subscribe and click the bell to get notified when we go live. So, you know, whenever we're going to talk about the Hawks, cause you know, there's stuff happening all the time and Jeff and I can't get enough of talking about it. So do all that, go over to patreoncom slash Hawk blogger, join right now and get instant access to our Slack channel where the conversation continues, whether we are doing a pod or not. So, uh, all proceeds are going to charity. And in fact, I am going with Evan Hill. Uh, I offered to Jeff too, but but it's a little bit of more of a trip for him. And we are going to the annual Seahawks auction uh, in, I think it's like a week before the draft, Jeff. So I don't know what it's going to be like for Evan Hill to be in the same room as John Schneider the week before the draft, but I'm going to have to heavily prepare evan for like you know safe words like no no you can't ask that evan uh it it could he could get get us both thrown out pretty quick
2: yeah i think i think that you made the right choice there as much as i would like love to be at that event i think just evan's like persona and like maybe like a lot of people in that room have probably a very strong opinion of evan one way or another so I think the the lure of being with him all night will get way more entertaining reactions. As much as I would enjoy talking to all these guys, I think you'll get way better stories being with Evan, and I, I want to hear those
1: stories. Well, we'll have to get you out here one of these years. We exactly. they, they they skipped this event last year, understandably, and and they're bringing it back, and hopefully uh, it'll be next year as well. So uh, in any event, Patreon.com/slash/hawkblogger gets you access to the Slack channel, contributes to the to what we put in the pile that goes to these great charities. And there's also opportunities depending on what's in the auction. I try to get stuff for folks. We won't be able to get phone calls from players and tweets from players if they stop that. But uh, there might be some other things that uh, we can give out to uh, to patrons. So patreon.com slash Um. Okay, so yeah, I agree with you on the nose tackle. I think that there's some good options in the draft. I think that they've typically not overvalued. I would say that the middle of the line, they've generally undervalued, right? They've gen- like, and I think that they've gotten away with that on the defensive line. I think they've actually done well for themselves with veteran short-term guys, Tony McDaniels, Colin Cole, you know, those type of guys, Al Woods like have worked out pretty well for them. Um, but they also go cheap on the interior offensive line with center since Max Unger, and that has not worked out well for them. I think you and I are starting to feel the same thing here, turning our attention a little bit to a different part of the team that the Seahawks may be looking at John Michael Schmidt, and they may be looking at him in a way where they're going to feel a need to draft him higher than someplace. The, the PFF simulator that we do, which we'll probably do one more before we hang up today because we can't resist, but you know, they've got him as like 70th ranked player, late second, third round kind of guy. Do you think the Seahawks could pull the trigger at 20 for John Michael Schmitz?
2: I do. Or I think there could be like a small trade down from 20. I initially had gone in thinking, like if you do the PFF simulators, I'd say like 50% of the time Schmitz is there in the 50, pick 50. I can't remember the number three, two, he's 50%. He's there. The buzz I hear, like from people I talk to, he, he's starting to build up a lot of buzz, Schmitz. And there's a lot of Steelers buzz. There's a lot of buzz from like the Jets, who if they have, they they trade for Elijah Moore, they trade Elijah Moore out this week. They added a second round pick, another one. They're back to back right after Seattle's pick at thirty seven. There's a lot of like fan bases. It's not just us. There's a lot of people, Schmitz, and there's a lot of teams at the end of the first round, like the Bills. And you start to do the math of, okay, who needs centers? Where's the sweet spot? Pittsburgh picks 32 with that Chase Claypool trade from Chicago. They need a center. They met with him last week. The more it's kind of wondering, you've got to wonder if they're going to do the math and say he might not even be there at 37. And if they have him graded significantly higher than, say, a Whipler or Whippler Whipler or Timman or a Michigan guy, I think they're going to pull the trigger at 20. And – Um, I was listening to one of the beat writers. I can't remember who it was. He said the same thing this week that he thinks they're going to take at 20. And I think the Evan Brown and letting letting Fuller go, I think that was a a tell too because they signed Evan Brown, but they're still – they need two centers. And I think the fact that they let Fuller go, probably signed for the league minimum. If they would have just signed Fuller back, I I would have wondered if it's just the same old stuff at center. But the fact that they have one center on the roster – there are reports that the Seahawks do, like Schmitz. I thought it was interesting some of their visits have been – one of their visits was a Minnesota guy. And Seattle's doing this very public poker game right now with the quarterbacks. And one of their first visits is a Minnesota player and an Ohio State player. Who are they, the two best centers from, Minnesota and Ohio State? So I think if they look at those numbers, I think he might not be there at 37, that 32 pick is a thing. And you can kind of do these simulators over and over. And pick 20 is a kind of a weird one. There's not a lot of defensive linemen unless like Cancy falls to you. And Brian, you've told me you think Cancy goes higher than 20 in the end. So it's kind of an awkward spot where like, unless you want one of the receivers or tight ends, there's no real defensive lineman other than Cancy that kind of works there. And that's where you might see them just go to Schmitz. And I'm starting to think the more I dive into these, that he really might be their pick at 20 if they have, them graded as high as some of the media's report.
1: Yeah, I can talk myself into it and out of it pretty easily. Like the 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 sell into it is I think that they really value him differently than they value other centers. Like I I like some of the other centers in this draft. I like Whipler and and other guys. I think they see Schmitz differently. I think that they whether they admit it or not, are very aware Of them passing on creed humphrey i think it's in their minds they wouldn't admit it but i think it is and i think they see the building blocks of a great offensive line right now and they see this as a absolutely crucial piece like that could be crazy to say because they've never really seen center as a crucial piece but but i think that they might see this and i think that they believe that there's enough interest in schmitz that they're gonna have to draft him there doesn't mean that they want to take him at 20 or that that's really his value but if there's going to be teams that take him before 37 which i'm starting to think is a 50 50 shot maybe a 70 30 shot then your one chance is to get him at 20 and i i made this case in the article and I, i i would make it here too jeff i think that Outside of a no red flag Jalen Carter that actually works out or a will Anderson that somehow falls to you. I don't know if there's another player at another position that I think if you add that person and they hit could elevate this team more than Schmitz. I think he could be like a hand in glove fit for what this team needs at this moment to build on the strength. If they feel any of that, then 20 is not too high. 20 is not too high. I don't think it's where they, sh- you know, ideally you take them at 37. Ideally you take them later than that. I don't think that's the way the markets gonna work out. So that's the way I talk myself into it. The way I talk myself out of it is the Seahawks Schneider h- historically has been really consistent where there are numbers at a position. We just talked about linebacker where there are numbers. He does not feel urgency. And so if he feels there are three or four guys that could be starting centers for them. Then he is not going to feel urgency to take the guy that's atop of his list. He will look at other position groups that maybe have smaller numbers and up their priority. And I'm okay with that if we end up with a guy like Whipler. If we end up got with a guy in the like fourth round, like the guy from Michigan, who, you know, could be good, don't know. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not supportive of that strategy. So yeah, I, I'm I'm starting to think about this. I'm also curious. You and I talked about this as well. If you were trying to make up ground with the 49ers, they're your only competition in this division right now. And you could argue that like Philadelphia is maybe the only other meaningful competition in the, you know, Dallas, I guess you could throw it. Yeah.
2: In maybe Detroit.
1: Yep. What's the, is the best strategy to make up ground to be, have, have, to, to, to try to fix the defense that has holes at pretty much every position other than cornerback one and maybe safety and maybe one of your, you know, linebackers, or is it to build the best young offensive line in the NFL? Uh, I, I realize it's not black and white like that, but I'm curious, like how you feel about those two paths.
2: Oh, to me, it's it's the build, the position of strength. And you look at what the Chiefs did when they lost that Super Bowl. Obviously, we don't have Patrick Mahomes, but we don't have Travis Kelsey. But what they did is they got blown up in the trenches. They went back and they just totally rebuilt. They put on so many, like almost an unprecedented level of resources in fixing their offensive line. And what it's allowed them to do is it's allowed them to be a little leaner on defense. And obviously, when you have Mahomes again, it's, but you kind of saw with Philadelphia this year where, they didn't they, – they played okay. They had a really good pass rush on defense, but they had some holes. And what a good offensive or a great offensive line does is it just makes you – like we saw with the 2005 Seahawks, that was not a great defense. They had some – they were a collective solid unit. But having a great offensive line and a real position of strength in the trenches, I think opens up the door for the best team build possible. And I think rather than trying to do a good piece here or a good piece there, I don't think that's what wins. I think that's what gets you to the second round and what Seattle kind of was in the Russell Wilson era. I think what what gets you, and you talk about this all the time, when we go into the playoffs, who has the best position groups? That's who typically wins. Philadelphia this year probably should have won the Super Bowl because they had the best offensive line and maybe the best defensive line. And you don't see that often, and the rest of their team is so good. But to me, if I'm looking at building positions of strength, I see two areas. I see receiver, and I see – center an offensive line and drop the end guard. And to me, if you want to have great receivers versus a great offensive line and how Pete Carroll wants to play and with Kenneth Walker, to me it's build the offensive line, add an impact player on defense early, Have you have pieces there. You're not going to build a great defense out of this draft. You can, you can get better there, but what you can do is you can build a great offensive line. And that's where I, I've been talking about Schmidt since December, since really often Blight started falling off. And he was a guy i just been circling. He just seems like the perfect guy for this team. And they need like kind of that junkyard dog. the guy And apparently the cool thing about him is at the senior bowl, he was opening up runs too. And like he, 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 they need a guy like when the Austin Blythe was getting blown up in the second half of the year, and they couldn't run the ball. It really impacted Gino. And that was part of where Gino fell off. And I think what someone like Schmitz could do, not only for the run game, but for Gino is a big, big deal. And if you're going to beat San Francisco, who now just got Javon Hargrave, Like center is an important position. And you still gotta play Aaron Donald. You still gotta play Philly with all those defensive tackles. They got Jordan Davis and Cox. You need a good center. And I I know we might be just overreacting to Creed Humphrey, but hell, Creed Humphrey wasn't even a guy we were thinking about at the time. He was a guy we thought was gonna go first round. And we were looking at like Quinn Menners and Schmitz is that guy like who fits their sweet spot, who fits what they need. I think it's the it's kind of like what you said with Bobby Wagner. He's the perfect player for exactly what they need at this time. And sure, he might be an overdraft pick. He's not an athletic freak like Creed Humphrey is, but I think in this draft class, is a totally justifiable pick. It's one.
1: Yeah, this is um, it's an interesting class. You know, in that the Seahawks don't really need tackles. They've got two young tackles that look like their future. It's stocked with tackles. There's a ton of really good tackles in this draft but it's also got some really appealing interior linemen who the Seahawks do need. And there's options at center and there's option at guard a name. You and I haven't talked about as much that Rob rang turned me on to. I I really appreciate it. If you don't follow Rob rang, you should Uh, folks. He's, he's, he's been doing draft analysis for a long time, way more humble and understated than a lot of the draft guys that are out there that beat their chest and are way wrong. Rob often is a guy that I find to end up being Right. Um, on some some of his reads, especially for the Seahawks, and he brought up Cody Mouch or Mouch, uh, uh, and he's a he's a tackle for I think North Dakota State or something like that, and he sees him as a as a guard. And I was looking at this guy. I, I think he's right. Easy for me to agree, um, but he's another guy that you add to the to the guard list. I actually like him a little bit better than uh, Steve Avila, who we've talked about. Vila is more of a, I think, really solid pass protector. I don't think he's about as much of a people mover. And I think uh, Cody could be. So that's another guy who I'm interested in. You've, we already talked about Osiris Torrance. I'm not totally sold. He's a scheme fit. And then there's this weird stuff going on with the Seahawks and Daywan Jones. He's one of their top 30 visits. They've talked about him. He is the most massive human being I've ever seen. His pictures look photoshopped. He has the longest wingspan in the history of the combine. He has this wingspan of a man seven foot five. And he is a six foot eight, three hundred and seventy-four pound right tackle. That's the only position he's played. The Seahawks have a right tackle. So what are they doing talking to Daywan Jones? What what do you think the the logic is there?
2: Like my first thought was they're getting info on his center. Um, Wibbler's got to be a guy they're looking at pretty seriously and what a lot of teams do is they don't want to give away draft strategies so they'll bring in things like this to gain information but that can't be the only thing they're doing because so I can't make <laughs> I can't understand it because I don't so on one hand the Rams the Rams coaches are now running Seattle's offensive line Andy Dickerson came from the Rams Mike Solari is fully gone And they're letting Dickerson sort of use his kind of, we had that one year where Dickerson came over and Fluker was still here and it was kind of, Gabe Jackson was still here and it was kind of awkward. So what the Rams have done, and we looked at the numbers this morning, they typically went with a lot of tackle converts to play right and left guard. So like six foot five guys. And I still think that's still, I still can't make sense of it because I don't think Lucas's game, which is more of like an athletic freak fits as a guard. I don't think he's like a dominant run blocking people mover. He came from the air raid and he's a really good athlete. And he was really good at right tackles a rookie. I don't think you want to move one of your best players positions. So I, I can't really make sense of it unless they're just doing the whipler thing, but Seattle in the past has liked uniquely built people and people that don't make sense to other teams. And they probably saw how they run block and they're probably just considering all scenarios. I think Jones is a guy who's going to go in the top 40 of the draft. So he's not going to be your third tackle or anything like that. Right. But I got Stone Forsyth on Curran on the roster on the league minimum deals. So if you're drafting the top 40, he's going to play. I like the Mouch idea, Cody Mouch a lot. He's a guy that they kind of need. They kind of need an ass kicker. And we had that with Breno. And cool thing about him is he can play a bunch of different positions. He can even play center in a pinch. But I think right guard, him versus Phil Haynes, I think that's – and with Damian Lewis in the last year of his deal, I think that's a, guy, a really good guy to bring in to kind of rebuild this unit to the next level. And I think if you can get a Mauk and a Schmitz, then all of a sudden that's, that's becomes the strength of your team. Yeah. And I heard someone say, I can't remember that. Mauk is one of their favorite players in this entire draft class. Just if you you pick one guy in this draft class, it was not like a Will Anderson, like who you bring into your program. And it was that guy. He's just, He's like a high energy guy. He's an ass kicker. Steve Avila is more of like the kind of guys they drafted last year—more passive, more pass protector. But Seattle needs some like, like culture ass kickers up front. And that was why they brought Bobby back. That was a big reason. They probably like Jaron Reed more than I would have, but they need one of those guys on the offensive line. And I see. I don't, I don't. I don't personally. I would bet that Dewan Jones is not going to happen. I think they're just. Maybe it was Stroud info, maybe maybe I'm missing something, but that would be a wild pick. That one would completely catch me off guard.
1: It would be wild. It would be wild. I mean I can't imagine him playing guard at six foot eight, three seventy-four. That seems crazy to me. It would be so fun if it worked. Like if somehow they did that and that was the plan and somehow that worked. Holy crap. And if you can put him and Lucas, even if it's the other way around and Lucas slides inside, which I don't love either. I like Lucas at right tackle. Me too. Uh, man, like that gets me pumped, man. That gets me really pumped. And that's why when people ask, and we've talked about this as well, Jeff, if Will Anderson doesn't fall to you. And the Seahawks do not want to take one of the quarterbacks, which I know is still a controversial perspective for a lot of people. Let's just say those two things are true. Then, um i start to get interested in skaronski and then you know Schmitz. like that's another combination that's that's appealing um so uh like at this point are you more interested in seeing like if that if that scenario happens are you more interested in jalen carter tyree wilson or trading back and getting a guy like skaronski
2: I think at this point, I'm still Jalen Carter, number one. But the more I think about Tyree Wilson, the less I'm getting excited. And I think of all our mock drafts we've done this offseason, I still think my favorite one – we've done a lot. Uh, I still think one of my favorite ones, other than Will Anderson, is when we got Skaronsky, we got – we traded back, we stocked more picks up, and we really created an ass-kicking group up front. And when we did it on defense as well with those extra picks – so you can fix the offensive line. You can fix the defensive line. And I think Skronsky is one of the best just bets in the draft. If you're betting on who's going to be a successful player, I think Skronsky is as good of a bet. I think Will Anderson, Skronsky, Stroud probably. Those are probably the three guys I'd probably bet on of, of any position. So I don't. some people are saying they might go corner. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that idea. but
1: Corner feels really odd to me in that, a guy we haven't talked about a lot in this off season, but has to factor in is Trey Brown. Yeah. Right. So Trey Brown was a guy that we were super hyped about and I think is better than Michael Jackson and was coming off injury last year, but seemed to be pretty good. And if he comes back strong, now you're pretty good at corner. So I'm still for them looking at the corner position. I think there's some interesting players for them to add to the pile, but You might be Cody, you know, Kobe Bryant, Trey Brown, Tariq Woolen, and in really good shape and have Michael Jackson as backup. So taking like a top 10 pick on a corner feels, feels like a big stretch to me taking a, your second, second round pick or maybe your third round pick on a corner feels a lot more reasonable. Um, but we'll see. I, uh, unfortunately, Jeff, I just got the, uh, the notice, notice that I have to go help uh, with, with family stuff. So I'm going to have to wrap up here, which is a bummer because I was looking forward to doing a mock draft with you and talking about some more pieces here. Um, uh, Closing thoughts for you. What, uh, what else is on your mind? What, what are you looking for? What, get, tell me the, tell me the draft thought or the draft player. That's kind of uh taking some, some thoughts for you right now. Actually, um, I'm going to scratch that. Tell me your thoughts on Jalen Carter right now. Jalen Carter thermometer, barometer.
2: I love the idea in theory, but it scares the shit out of me. It scares the absolute shit out of me. It's not because of what happened in that driving incident. It's just – I think about how the best – I saw you tweet this this week. Uh, He just doesn't seem hungry. And you think about all these guys we've had over the years, Sherman and Earl and Doug. And Cam and how they were wired. Marshawn, they were just so hungry to be great. And a lot of the biggest misses they made Malik McDowell and Sheldon Richardson and Percy. And there's a case maybe for Jamal. I don't know how hungry he is to just get his own contract or bad luck or whatnot. But Jimmy Graham, like, was Jimmy Graham hungry to be great or was he hungry to put up stats? Yeah. Um, that's what scares the shit of me. So. I can, it's a thing I could talk myself into in five seconds, because the idea of fixing your defensive line, going from having no defensive tackles to Jermon Jones and Jalen Carter in the middle of your defense with Bobby there, it's just, it's like, it's as good as it gets. We've talked about defensive tackle for years, and they, they would come out with two of them. So I'm still not sold yet, but I'm still scared shitless, but it's something I'd convince myself in five seconds
1: yeah here's where i am on it is if the seahawks pick him, i'll feel pretty good about it it will mean that they've they've got the information they need to go against a lot of information that we know to to bet on this guy and it's at a position we really need like absolutely so if that if that happens then i think i will be i won't be like pumped i won't like freak out excited but I will have the butterflies a little bit and I'll feel like, okay, all right, let's see how this goes. I, I, won't be, I will not be furious if that happens. Um, but I don't know where I am. I still like, I sure would like to have some more indications that this guy's going to get his mind right and get his approach right. And be someone that you want to build your team around. And I, would I'm not seeing that yet. So he's definitely like not Willie Anderson's clearly top like that's the guy I'd feel best about everyone else is a pretty distant second place to, to Will Anderson. So um, we got more to talk about. We will have another show Wednesday. Uh, hopefully Jeff will be available for that. Hopefully some more of the folks as well. Thanks to everybody for joining on a ad hoc weekend edition of real Hawk talk. This has been Brian Nemhauser at Hawk blogger on Twitter, Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. And if you haven't already, please give the show a like, please give the show a five-star review on how, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Uh, And then go over to patreon.com slash Hawk blogger, sign up right now and get instant access to the Slack channel where you can talk with other Seahawks fans and feed questions in which we will answer on Wednesday. Until then, uh, take care, have a wonderful rest of your weekend, and uh, go Hawks.